Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and I don't have a co-host today because it's an interview pod, uh, and we have a very special guest with us. We have Connor Hitchcock, uh, the founder of Homefield Apparel, uh, sponsor of this podcast, and if you're an incredibly online person like myself, you understand why we have him on this week. Homefield is launching its Penn State collection, and we thought it would be good to get Connor on to talk a little bit about Homefield, talk about uh, just how things work in the Homefield universe, and then a little bit later in this podcast, Connor is uh, a well-documented Indiana Hoosier. I am not, but our two teams have played some very dumb football games over the years. What we're mm-hmm. both going to do, we don't know what each other's lists are, but we have both listed our top three dumbest Penn State and Indiana football games. That'll be a little bit later, but for now, Connor, what's going on, brother? Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. Yes, we are very excited at Homefield to be launching Penn State this week. Uh, as someone whose brain has been terminally warped by Twitter, um, that means I it has been greatly affected by Penn State Twitter because it's part of being in college football Twitter. So uh, very excited beyond just launching these shirts to be interacting with a bunch of Penn State fans all week. To finally be able to provide some uh, shirts to you guys because you've only been asking for like three years. So very important to stress and i'm not going to blame anyone but it's not home field's fault uh neither <laughs> here nor there though uh I- i've seen bits of the collection it's a very very good collection uh and what i want to do before we get into anything else is i want people to get a glimpse into how home field's process works because i have a couple shirts from a lovely columbus-based company homage right here that are penn state related we all everyone listening to this podcast has a million bits of penn state merch in their closets, in their dressers, whatever. And what I want to know is, how are you guys able to kind of enter the Penn State clothing world, the Michigan clothing world, the Indiana clothing world, Youngstown State, whatever, and find ways to make new and cool and creative things when so often it's ground that has been covered by God knows how many people over the years? Yeah, that's a great question. So Homefield, uh, I founded the brand four years ago with my co-founder and wife, Krista. She is the one responsible for all of the design. So it's funny, I'm typically the public facing one. She's the one that's actually responsible for making everything look good, the thing that people actually like about Homefield. Uh, but I'm the one that's more public facing. Uh, and so, you know, we it's kind of twofold where you have to get the license. You have to prove to a school You know, basically like bigger brands, you have to prove that you're not going to screw it up for them. Because even if you sell a ton uh, of gear online for Penn State and they get their royalty off of that, Penn State is such a big brand that even when you sell a lot, that royalty really won't be meaningful to them. You know, for these athletic departments with hundreds of millions of dollars in budget, you know, it's a drop in the bucket. So for them, you have to show that you are bringing something new that is valuable and incremental to them. Otherwise, it's just a risk for a bigger mm-hmm. brand like a Michigan, like a Penn State that has such a valuable brand to protect. So, you know, at first, these first few years has been convincing schools like, hey, our design is elevated uh, and unique. Our product is really comfortable. Um, and, and on top of that, we interact with customers in a completely different way. Um, I, we were just talking off air beforehand, you know, I have a tweet from 2020 that says, whenever we get the Penn state license, I'm going to say home field apparel, singe my arm with a Bunsen burner daddy, uh, because that's right in the Penn state wheelhouse of, uh, Twitter bits. Right. 
I took a picture of a shovel on Sunday in reference to the Trace McSorley tweet to talk about Penn State. I boiled a literal beer on my stove. Uh, you know, so we are going to interact differently on top of a different product. But in terms of finding the design, why you should be interested beyond our weird Twitter presence is uh, our design team will go to incredible lengths to find stories. I mean, we have so many DMs open with people who will say, hey, have you seen this logo? Or I, the amount of I just found this in my grandfather's attic type of stuff we hear yeah. from people a ton. Uh, and so we'll ask people randomly, like, what was your favorite memory of going to school at Penn state, you know, in whatever decade they went, um, we will dig through literal archives, digital or physical. Um, we'll have schools ship us stuff. Sometimes a lot of times we'll find logos that schools didn't know existed from the fifties or sixties because, you know, we can't give away everything where we find it, but there's a ton of research our team does. And so, you know, the designs will be different and they're just, they are printed on incredibly comfortable fabric. So with Penn State, actually, we got a few approvals that they had not approved before. Today, we teased out um, our hockey shirt we're doing. Um, it's of a lion playing hockey, and they normally do not allow anything of the lion playing a sport on apparel. But this was a vintage one we found from the hockey program, and they gave us special approvals because that's kind of become our niche now mm -hmm. is where we become known as this brand who will find logos that are unique. And so... Uh, there will be ones you haven't seen. There will be ones you have seen that haven't been able to be used in quite some time. You know, with Indiana, we were the first brand to be able to use the the cursed beloved oval on the <laughs> Antoine Randall helmets um, from the late 90s, early 2000s, a team that had a guy finish second in the Heisman voting and yet did not make a bowl game. Um, so, you know, uh, you love that kind of stuff. Uh, but that's what we're able to do uh, and print it on incredibly comfortable garments. Do you have an example? It could be of Penn State. It could be of another school. Uh, of a time when you guys found something, where you guys found it, whatever that might be, that you know it blew you guys away. It made for an incredibly great shirt. But then also, when you brought it to the school, they, like you mentioned, they went, "Oh my God! Like, where did you find that? What is that? Is that is that really something that we have made before?" And you know. That just turned into one of your really popular shows. Yes. So one of my favorite examples of this is a school in a lot of Penn State fans' backyard, Slippery Rock, uh, or at least in the States. Uh, there is a design. It is one of our top 10 selling shirts of all time. Uh, I think Bill knows which one it is. Uh, it's of a rock in a mink coat uh, with a button on the coat that says win, and it's just holding a pennant like it's walking into a game with a mink coat. And I'm trying to remember where our team found it. I think it was like on some media guide or program from middle 20th century. They had never seen it before. We convinced Slippery Rock to let us use it because we can show them. And part of it is showing them, hey, it's not just fan art. Like here's where it was actually used by the athletic department. Uh, and it exploded. I mean, again, it's top 10 selling design for us is uh, Rocky the Rock <laughs> wearing a fur coat. So that, that's one of the examples on a smaller scale for sure. Yeah, if you're a, a Slippery Rock grad and Penn State fan, I highly recommend going and finding that because really, like, like Connor mentioned, like when I remember when that shirt dropped, like Slippery Rock has, you know, however many, five, you know, five digits worth of a lot 
is probably in the United States right now, but it caught on with fans of schools that have probably never even heard of Slippery Rock. It really is impressive stuff. And speaking of impressive stuff, I really love the Penn State collection, the stuff that I've seen from it. I won't ask you to give everything away. Uh, if you, like, like, for example, if you're hiding a basketball shirt from me, I would love that, but oh well. Uh, but all seriousness, I would love to know what your favorite thing is in the Penn State collection. Uh, and if there is a crazy story behind how you guys found that, I'd love to know what that is. Yeah, you know, um, my favorite one, um, I believe you, Will, said uh, it was of the Nittany Lion breaking the law. Uh, was that you who said it on Twitter the other day? Uh, my favorite one of the collection, uh, we've teased it out a bit already, so I'm happy to say it uh, by the time people are listening to it. So the Nittany Lion standing on the side of the road of the piers with a suitcase that says Penn State sweater, scarf, and it says take me to Happy Valley and is hitchhiking to get a ride. So that's my favorite just because of the, the cheekiness, I suppose. Um, but you know, I'm so detached from yeah. where people actually found it. Cause I'm not a designer. I don't have a story behind that one other than I just think, um, anytime you can get something that's just a little out of the ordinary, like this is, I believe our first hitchhiking mascot <laughs> on a shirt. Um, you know, that that's always kind of my favorite thing when something unique or different, cause there's a thousand different, um, mascots with um you know a sailor hat on that was the working of art <laughs> evans in the mid 20th century he fleeced a ton of schools into basically paying him to make the same logo which is kind of funny uh so you can do something more unique like that uh that's always what i will lean toward yes if you've uh if you have seen homefield's twitter got an email from homefield you will know exactly the design connor was talking about it's a really great design uh bunch of really great stuff in the uh in the collection and of course if you want to get your hands on, on it uh home does sponsor our podcast my journalistic duty to make sure that is clear uh they are in the midst of big new saturday and of course this week they're launching their pen stake gear there are 15 pieces of apparel in all, in all it launches on october uh, not october that would be bad august 13th at noon and if you are a new customer for home field apparel you can use the promo code roar lions roar one word all uppercase you will get 15 percent off of your first order again new customers promo code roar lions roar for 15 percent off of your first order and uh speaking of october uh wait no play in november this year so that's a really bad segue but connor is an indiana fan a uh, big Indiana fan. And before we get into uh, the real fun part of this pod, and by real fun part, I mean the part that is going to make our eyes twitch. Uh, Indiana football, you know, it's been said over the years that Indiana and Penn State are like <laughs> opposites of one another. Indiana football is Penn State basketball. Penn State football is Indiana basketball. And we always love talking about Penn State basketball. So let's talk about the college football version of Penn State basketball. What are your just general thoughts on Indiana football? Is they're getting in, ready to go into what, like year five or six now of the Tom Allen era? Yeah, this is year five of the Tom Allen era. So um, things were honestly looking very good on a four-year trajectory. 
Um, to set the scene, yeah, I mean, Indiana football, there are a lot of Penn State basketball comps. Um, the most losses in FBS football yes. history is where we're starting with, right? So it's been around for a very long time. Uh, one of my favorite things is that we have a shirt on home field uh, with Indiana. It's a baby blue shirt commemorating the 1958 season because in 1958, our new coach at the time, Phil Dickens, changed the uniforms for an entire year to baby blue to reverse the fortunes of the program in 1958. Um, so that, and he went five, three and one, but then the NCAA came after him because he was cheating, cheating. Um, and so then, you know, he got fired and, uh, my favorite thing is we've made one Rose bowl 1968, but that was because at the time, you were not allowed to make the Rose Bowl twice in a row. And so it was a three-way tie between us, Purdue, Minnesota, and they Purdue actually, I think, Purdue had the leg up in the tiebreaker, and so they were going to send Purdue, but Purdue had just been to the Rose Bowl. So then the coaches voted us in, um, and we lost 13-0 to to uh, USC and their running back, Orenthal Simpson. Um, Who? And, yeah, I don't know. I haven't heard of him before. He fine. Um, <laughs> I'm going to move on. Uh, and so in Indiana football, I mean, again, we had a Heisman candidate and didn't make a bowl game. The Heisman candidate uh, got drafted by the Cubs and played basketball for Bob Knight. And then when he got to the NFL, played quarterback in Antoine Randall So you, you just like this snake bitten program. Well, it wasn't even snake bitten for the 20th century. It was the athletic department literally did not care about it because for about 40 years, men's basketball was just cooking and it did not matter. Uh, so you're left with, you know, now you go into the 21st century, men's basketball is certifiably not cooking. Um, and then football. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By Indiana standards, definitely not cooking. Um, but I mean, we cooked for one it's year, not, and that was cool. And then we, a little bit more. Syracuse got wild and threw a two-three zone at us. Uh, didn't know what to do there. They caught us yeah. off guard. Um, and so, you know, that's a, so Indiana football. Though I'm in love with it. Um, Antoine Randall was my introduction because he was electric, and like I was born in the '90s. It was the perfect time. I mean, he returned punts. He played quarterback. He ran all over the field, him and Levron. Um, so, you know, since then, <laughs> like the when I was a student, we had Kevin Wilson uh, as our coach, and they were electric offenses with Tevin Coleman and then Jordan Howard and Nate Sudfeld and um, really just throwing the ball over the place. My first game was five hours as a student against Indiana state. We scored 72 and let up like 49 against Indiana state. Um, but Indiana football is infuriating because we have had some solid teams, but when you're stuck in the East, you have four scheduled losses every year with, I mean, you guys have faced similar things being in the East, but you can actually beat those teams. Um, and you know, so you got to win your Rutgers, Maryland, Purdue, and then beat out, uh, the, all your three non-cons. So the good thing we play Cincinnati this year, <laughs> um, 
but that's all to say Tom Allen comes in off the back of Kevin Wilson building something like five and seven, which for us, I mean, it's literally a race to six every year. Um, and there was, there's some really positive momentum for four years. His first two years were five and seven. It's okay. But Kevin Wilson had recruited poorly. Um, the 2019 season with the whole nine Indiana um, campaign that I uh, had a hand in with Chris and Kyle um, was amazing. Michael Penix Jr. seemed to be a revelation. We'll t- I'm sure talk about him later. Um, and, you know, the 2020 season was a like, <laughs> it's weird to say 2020 was a dream. I to beat Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Michigan State all in one year for me I never thought I would see that gave Ohio gave Ohio State a game too yeah like you guys like Ohio State like I think we both agree Ohio State was the better football team but Indiana still went in there that game was in Columbus if I remember correctly and was like yeah they Ohio State if I remember correctly got out ahead considerably in that game and Indiana just scrapped and fought and in the second half, they looked like they belonged on the field with Ohio State in an empty Columbus, but in Columbus nonetheless. Yeah, we were up. We were down twenty-eight at half and lost by seven. And the game ends with like LeBron James tweeting yeah. about the Indiana quarterback, which that doesn't happen for a team that like us, right? So you know, it was really cool. And we we had the number nineteen recruiting class in the country um, coming in off of that or this past year but 2021 there's a lot that can be ascribed to it Uh, it's really it's demoralizing because i think i had felt we finally had broken through um i don't think we're going to be a two and ten this year again i think you know i've had a lot more time to reflect uh and chatting with the old suits the old cq boys the the other day about it like you know, the year before there, it was real progress. It wasn't just luck. Like, yes, 2020 was down, but there are good players still in the program. Um, But at the same time, it's Indiana football. And so I think we're all dispositioned to like, I'm dispositioned to go down to Bloomington on a Friday night and watch us lose to Illinois in the first game. Like that's probably going to happen. But, you know, I still think to have someone in Tom Allen who loves, truly loves Indiana and wants to be at Indiana. And it's like, you know, a fired up person about being there is cool. It's just I very nervous going into this season because, you know, while there are good players in the program, the decisions that have been made haven't exactly been inspiring confidence, right? These last 12 months. So. Yeah. I To further the Penn State basketball um, comparison, this reminds all that reminded me of the fact that one, Penn State has been to one Final Four in 1954. Two, this used to be the number one thing on the table of contents for Penn State basketball's Wikipedia and is now number eight. The section is titled Overcoming Historical Relevance. <laughs> uh, three, Pe- Penn State was ranked basketball in 2019-20 was ranked in the top 10 of in the country, which <laughs> I will never forget for as long as I live uh, before before they uh, got hit with a global pandemic. And I think Lamar Stevens uh, 
as a result, ended eight points short of being the program's all-time winning <laughs> scorer. And then in 2021, uh, the team went 11 and 14. So really just, it's like looking in a mirror. What is your third dumbest football game that has been played between Penn State and Indiana? Yes. So I actually have an honorable mention, um, if the court will allow it. Okay. Um, this, this is a men's yes, basketball game. Um, my, uh, when I was in college, um, it was held in the year of our Lord 2014, a four and seven in conference Penn State Nittany Lions team uh, came into mm-hmm. Assembly Hall, uh, led by a sophomore Yogi Farrell, a four and seven Indiana men's basketball team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Indiana led, I was here at this game, mind you. Uh, Indiana was leading 64 to 53 with three minutes to go and could not inbound the ball five times in a row. And the Penn State Nittany Lions defeated the Indiana Hoosiers 66 to 65, uh, going on a 13 to one run to close out the game. I heard um, 75 year old women behind me yelling actionable threats at Tom Crean. So <laughs> I, that is. I watched. Yeah. I watched that game at a bar in State College, and that uh, Penn State fans might remember that was Tim Frazier's senior year. It was the one year that Penn State had Tim Frazier and DJ Newbill on the same team, and I vividly remember the sheer feeling of despair that I felt watching that team that they were going to completely ruin two of the five to ten best players in program. Uh, they end up earning a berth in the CBI, not the NIT, the CBI. Uh, and then they lose to Siena in the CBI <laughs> at Siena in a game I went to. And Siena fans were meaner about Jerry Sandusky than literally any other fans I have ever experienced. Siena? Oh, dude. We... That, the final, final score of that game, 54 to 52. Mm-hmm. Dude, so this game... It's funny because Indiana also was invited to the CBI that year. Um, but Tom Crean said, no, we don't play in the CBI. We're Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, the year before that was the year that Indiana was ranked number one in the country uh, and lost to Syracuse. So they went from being number one in the country for most of the season to denying a CBI request because we're Indiana. And that – that Penn State game is burned in my brain. That was the first time, <laughs> like, because we just come off being number one. That was the first time I was like, maybe Tom Crean's not the right guy for the job. So I will never forget mm, that. Mm, I'm not going to let you say that because if Robbins listens to this, he's <laughs> going to hurt you. Uh, but let's do it. Number three dumbest game between Penn State and Indiana in Connor's eyes is? Yes, this game occurred in, um, shoot, I want to get the correct year. It was the first time Indiana's ever defeated Penn State, though. I believe it was 2014. Um, led by quarterback Christian Hackenberg, throwing for 340 yards. The Penn State Indy Lions lost 44-24 to at Indiana's Memorial Stadium, led by Nate mm-hmm. Sudfeld and Tevin Coleman uh, and Cody Latimer. Um, so this is a dumb game, and I remember the game because I, being the uh, diehard Indiana fan I am, chose not to go to the game because I wanted to go on a run. And so... <laughs> oh, brother. Ready? Are you ready for this? Yep. This is the one Penn State Big Ten road game I have ever attended. 
<laughs> this was number two on my list. It was Penn State's <laughs> conference opener. I went with a friend who took the LSAT that morning. He mm-hmm. made it a point to take it in Bloomington because he wanted to go to the game. He showed up at halftime. The score at halftime was uh, 13-7 to 7 Penn State. And he said, what the word I can't say on this podcast. Christian Hackenberg threw it 55 times, and he had the worst game of 340 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions that I have ever seen. Indiana's offense gained 486 yards, and I got really drunk at Knicks that night. Hey, like if you're going to do it, you got to sink the biz. My favorite part of this, so again, I was running during the first half because I was just like, it's Penn State, even though they're down, we're going to lose. Um, and I ran by the stadium and I kept hearing cheers and I was like, Oh, I, my thought being an Indiana fan was, Oh wow. They must've really traveled well for this one. Yep. Uh, cause I kept hearing cheers and then I got back to my apartment and my roommate was like, yo, we're winning. And so we turned, like I turned it on. Um, my favorite at one point, Indiana in the fourth quarter, 10 minutes ago was up 42 to 17 mm-hmm. on Penn State. I mean, this was a beat down we do not do this to anyone and penn state had 35 minutes of possession compared to indiana's 25 it they had more first downs than indiana they had 27 first downs to indiana's 23 same amount of turnovers it is dumb and i am that's that was my punishment for missing it because i went to literally every other iu game my entire undergrad experience at iu that was in bloomington and we came like Indiana football, we lost like thirty. There was some crazy stat, like thirteen straight of our losses were within one score to a top twenty-five team or something oh. stupid like that. And I had missed the time, the first time we ever beat Penn State. So, so that was uh, my number two game. Like I mentioned, uh, you know who wasn't doing a lot of running that day? The Penn State Nittany Lions because they carried the ball thirty-eight times for seventy yards at one point eight yards per carry. Uh, my number three game was the 2016 game between Penn State and Indiana, which mm. took place, again, in Bloomington. Penn State won it 45-31, to 31, but mm-hmm. in no way, shape, or form was the game that close. That game was significant for me because the night before, I was in Columbus, Ohio, at a USA versus Mexico World Cup qualifier, and it is the only one that Mexico has ever won in Columbus. Mm-hmm. I drove home thinking, okay, I'm really mad about that, but I will be fine. I listened to the game on the radio, and I damn near had a panic attack because mm-hmm. Indiana was up 24-14 with three-plus minutes left in the third. Penn State mm-hmm. scored 24 points in the fourth quarter to win. Indiana outgained them by about 50 yards. Saquon didn't do much of anything, but – Those five turnovers by Indiana included the only play from this game that I saw, which was Indiana has the ball down 38-31 trying to drive. The ball's on their 27, and Richard Legau is sacked by Brandon Bell. Torrance Brown scoops it up and walks it in. That is the only play from this game that I saw. I still haven't seen a single other play. I listened to the entire thing on the radio, and I have made it a point to never listen to the radio ever again. So... That my guess that game is not on your list. What I'm going to do? No, I remember. I was in Ohio for that game as well. I was visiting Krista at uh, in Oxford. <laughs> she went to Miami, and 
Uh, I was just irate. I mean, it, the worst part is I knew it was coming. Uh, we all know it's coming. Um, it It's the Spencer Hall tweet that gets retweeted every single week. God hates Indiana football. Um, <laughs> but it still doesn't hurt less when you know it's coming. Like going up and with a fourth quarter lead against Penn State. Like that's why uh, I'm sure a game that will make this list uh, was very stunning to us all. Yes. Uh, five turnovers in that game for Indiana. All five of them were fumbles and all five of them Penn State recovered. That shouldn't happen. Yep. A different no. Penn State player recovered every fumble, which again, I have <laughs> no idea how that happened. Saquon ran the ball 33 times for 58 yards. Trace McSorley mm-hmm. carried it eight for 13 yards. That is 1.8 and 1.6 yards for the two of them. But somehow Penn State came out on top. Uh yeah, that was Tom Allen's first year as defensive coordinator. And that's when we knew things were different because the Kevin Wilson teams, again, my first game, five hours, we gave up 49 <laughs> points or whatever in Indiana State. Um, but then we have Tom Allen coming. It's like, oh, we might have something cooking here uh, as a D coordinator. Uh, I just remember all the articles in the offseason leading up to it were like the Tom Allen interviews. They were like, yeah. You know, we didn't talk scheme the first hour of the interview. It was only Tom's whole mantra of, uh, which at the time was novel to us, of just loving each other. And we were all like, sure, like, yeah, we'll take it. And then all of a sudden he turns us from like uh, 100th plus S&P plus defense to like 25th. And that Penn State game was actually one of the first ones. It was like, oh, we held Trace and Saquon to barely anything. That's interesting. But we still lost, of course, because we're us. Let's move on to your number two game. If your number two game is my number one game. We're going to press pause and we're going to let you talk about your number one game. What is your number two game? My number two game is 2018. The Penn oh, State Lions. Oh, okay. So our lists are real different. Let's go. The Penn State Nittany Lions uh, defeats the Indiana Hoosiers 33 to 28. And if you look at the box score and you're reading this game, he's like, oh, another close one. Indiana did, but they do. But there are two pieces of information that are very important to me. So I'll just give the overview and then I'll go into it. Uh, Penn State wins 33 to 28. Um, It's in Memorial Stadium in Bloomington, Indiana. Um, At one point, Indiana is up in the third or the second quarter, I believe here. Uh, They're up in the third quarter, actually. Four minutes ago in the third quarter, Indiana goes up. Um, There's a friend season ticket holders and we all sit together and um, we typically say this is going to hurt so bad. That's our catchphrase in the third quarter. So I remember (laughs) hugging my friend Ethan and screaming, this is going to hurt so bad uh, after Stevie Scott punched it in. Um, Then, you know, Penn state goes and uh, scores twice in a row. Indiana scores again in the fourth quarter, but it's, Oh, there we go again. These auto ads love ESPN. Uh, but Penn State wins. Nondescript game. Wow, Indiana went up on Penn State in the third quarter and Penn State won. Whatever. Two pieces of information here. This was the first game. This is the origin story of Michael Penix Jr. He comes in the game for the first time uh, for Peyton Ramsey. They wanted to see what we had in this hotshot four-star freshman who was committed to Tennessee and then decommitted and chose us over Florida State because we had as our offensive coordinator at the time, Mike DeBoard. Hell yeah. Uh, everyone's clamoring for Penix all year, true freshman, because we've heard his arm is amazing, all this stuff. But we have serviceable, true blue Peyton Ramsey in there. 
Penix. Oh my goodness. I am so sorry. (laughs) This is how you know we're talking about Indiana football. Every technical, anything that can go wrong is going wrong today for me. Uh, it's like in a it's like in a movie when something ominous is about to happen and someone like says something and then just like a lightning strike or an earthquake yeah. happens. Yeah, I uh, no I'm clearly displaying my competency as a co-founder of a company here. Uh, anybody can do it is what this is showing. <laughs> um, Michael Michael Penix Jr., our beloved son, Indiana Hoosier forever. Uh, I will tweet Indiana Hoosier Michael Penix Jr. no less than thirty times this year when he does well for the Washington Huskies, my new favorite football team. Um, so 2018 Penix comes in the game. We're all kind of surprised because Peyton Ramsey was doing fine. I think they just want to switch it up. He first drive uh, under center drops back and just throws a bomb, like 40 yards downfield. It's incomplete, but you just kind of heard the whole crowd go, Oh, because you know, we had Peyton Ramsey. And if you've ever seen our sweet Peyton Ramsey play football, it's like, he's playing 500 out there. Uh, when he's trying to throw a deep ball. It's actually kind of a nice deep ball, but it takes a minute to get there. Uh, a lasting memory for me will be the, the family behind us, season ticket holders. They have an eight-year-old daughter. She screams, why hasn't he been playing the whole season? Uh, when Penix threw his first pass. It was, I will never forget that moment. So Penix leads the drive. We go score a touchdown. His first drive is awesome. Second drive, he comes out. We're all pumped. He scrambles and the ref is in his way and Penix has to juke the ref and tears his knee in doing so. That was how Penix first got hurt. That's his first season ending injury was his first game against Penn state having to juke the ref, uh, ending in an ACL tear. So, um, and we're like, Oh, don't worry. He's a freshman. I'm sure he's got plenty of years left on him. He'll be fine. Uh, after that, but the first Michael Penix injury occurred versus Penn State uh, in a very dumb fashion, juking a referee. The second reason, beyond Indiana blowing a third quarter lead, their potential future best quarterback going down with a very dumb injury. That game was, I believe, October or November, cold, um, but there were a ton of wins that got picked up. And so as... Um, it's becoming inevitable that Penn State is going to win this game. They come back. Trash literally starts swirling in the end zone. And there's a tornado of trash in the Indiana end zone that like lasted the whole fourth quarter. I mean, just like 90 napkins and Coke bottles everywhere. And they try to keep picking it up. But it was just like a literal like whirling dervish of trash. So for me, that was one of the stupider games given, you know, predictable outcome, but knee tear and trash tornado on the field. And I was there. We love a good metaphor. Uh, one thing I forgot about that game uh, was Penn state was up 33 to 21, uh, punted it back to Indiana first and 10 at their 15 uh, with three fifty left. And uh, Peyton Ramsey leads the Hoosiers on a 15 play 85 yard drive and then uh, score a touchdown. Indiana then recovers an onside kick and uh-huh. yep and i actually remember watching that game because the 2018 season uh as penn state fans remember that was the year where penn state wasn't that good but they did have trace mcsorley at quarterback so every so everyone was like yeah it'll be a is that me or you this time that was you this time okay 
But that game was also on the heels of Penn State losing to Ohio State by one point and Michigan State by four points. So everybody was really normal when that happened. Uh, Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, everybody reacted. Uh, Oh, 2018, that's the uh, tractor trailer tweet year, wasn't it? uh, Uh, Oh, yeah, where Spencer tweeted tweeted out the – yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, you guys, one thing I really enjoy about your fan base is you react to things very normally. Um, it's very good. Uh, I, For those of you listening who are in the Penn State fan base, it makes me miss the old days of Indiana Twitter. Yes. Uh, we've we've lost many good posters along the way, including the king of all posters, Trill Ballins. Uh, may he rest in Twitter heaven. Uh, but Penn State Twitter has remained great while uh, we like to harken back to former days with Indiana Twitter. Yes, so. and... Uh... I think I will let you say your number one game because I know what your number one game is. It is different from my number one game. Oh, you're doing the, you're not even putting them in the top three. My argument is that the way this game was dumb was Penn state beat the hell out of India out gained them by 277 (laughs) yards. But ultimately Indiana played a good game and figured out a way to win Uh it. And, I like I give them credit for it, but floor is yours. <laughs> My number one game, uh, maybe the, the and this is you should feel a lot of pity for me for me about being about to say this. Maybe the height of my uh, for college football fan experience was Michael Penix Jr. stretching out his arm across the goal line. Um, I don't even know why they reviewed it. Everyone was in agreement. The two-point conversion was good. Uh, and Indiana, against all odds, uh, against itself. Literally, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I don't even know if – during the review. I don't even know if it was good. Let's be honest. Okay, I'll let you know the secret. I, It's possible it wasn't good. Um, But I'm like – my friends and I are all sitting there, and like, even if it's in question, like – like Kevin Warren has called in the dogs. Like there is not, a, there is a zero percent chance that we are going to win, like get this call. Because I mean, uh, look, that does the Big Ten no good for that. Yes. Uh, and so we're just conspiracy theorying it. And like we're Indiana, nothing ever good happens. And so when that happened, I don't know. There's a video on Twitter uh, that Krista took of me, unbeknownst to my knowledge that was embedded eventually in a sports illustrated article by Pat 40. Uh, <laughs> but of me reacting to the victory and running around my house and like truly like arms up to the heavens. Like I've never experienced that kind of joy. And the only way that Indiana would ever kick off the season that this would happen would be within the context of a delayed shortened season due to a global pandemic, a really disputed call after Indiana really like we were in control of that game late fourth yeah. quarter, despite, you know, probably, I mean, being outplayed, some dumb stuff happened, including one of my favorite, uh, the great doinks uh, of that field goal in the end of the first half that Penn State lined up. And it's just the loudest doink off of the left upright you've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like someone's taking a baseball bat to just like a metal garbage can um, and like had it mic'd up. It was perfect. Um, but I mean, look, we all knew it was going to be this again. This is the height of my football fan experience. Maybe that or when we beat Michigan in 2020. So you should feel very sad for me that that is the height. So of it. I think I've told you this story. I probably said it on the pod. I 
barely watched the last like two minutes of that game and only saw the very end of overtime because that was the day I got my dog and my dog got dropped off at my place as India. So I believe uh, Indiana, uh, let me just pull this up. Yeah. They scored a touchdown at the end of the fourth quarter in order to, uh, in order to force overtime. And the only Mm -hmm. reason that, I missed that was because at the start of that drive, I got the call that said, Hey, I'm outside with your dog. And I had to go out and deal with a brand new puppy who had no idea what the hell was going on. And then I missed, <laughs> I missed Stout's field goal. I watch Penn, like I get in to see Penn state score. And then I watch Indiana's overtime drive. And I'm like, listen, I legitimately, I can't be in a bad mood today. Like I am not allowed to be in a bad mood on the day that I get a puppy, but Indiana made it really difficult. So my number one game, I am absolutely shocked. This did not appear on your list anywhere. 2014 Penn state, oh, 13 God. Indiana seven in Bloomington. Yes. I am going to just read the stuff that has happened. For, well, one, for some reason, Penn, these two teams played in Bloomington two years in a row. Because the year before. Yeah, because the, the 13 game I referenced earlier. I yes. said 14 earlier. I meant 13. Yes. But the 13 game, yeah, it was Bloomington. This is the worst football game I've seen in my entire life. <laughs> Christian Hackenberg, 12 for 29, 168 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions, a 9.8 QBR. Xander Diamont, 13 for 27, 68 yards, 2.5 yards per completion, two interceptions, a 16.9 QBR. Indiana ran for 3.8 yards per carry. Penn State ran for 4.4, which included the history setting for Penn State's football program. 92-yard touchdown by Bill Belton. That was the only touchdown either offense scored in this game because Indiana had a pick six. The important Mm -hmm. thing, Penn State punted the ball nine times for 336 yards. Five of those nine were inside of the 20, and there was one touchback. Indiana punted it 11 times for 404 yards, 36.7 average, one touchback, two inside of the 20. Neither team had a punt that went longer than 48 yards. It is easily the worst football game that I have ever seen. I will never, ever get back the three or four some odd hours of my life that were spent in this game, which was James Franklin's first game in uh, against Indiana and Kevin Wilson's second. That's the crazy thing. Kevin Wilson was Indiana's coach in this game. And despite that, Indiana gained 221 yards of offense, which I understand Xander Diamant was the quarterback for that uh-huh. game, but nonetheless. Were, were you at this game? I was at this game. It was horrible. God bless you. Uh, yeah, the first Xander year was real, real tough. Um, <laughs> it, we could not move anything. Um, that season, it's hard. I think I forgot about this game. Um, <laughs> for a lot of reasons, just straight up memory hold it. But that's not the worst loss we had that year. Uh, we had a 45 to 42 loss at home to Bowling Green. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a play where I don't know how to describe it other than it was a punt block, but it wasn't like, oh, they blocked it. Like they took the football off of the punter's foot. Like it was the ball did not go in the air. Like he's making contact and he just takes it, he just scoops it up and scores a touchdown. Um, that was also the same year we lost to Rutgers by 22 points. 
Um, so I really kind of, in, in the midst of that season, forgot it all. Uh, that was also the year, though, that Indiana won the, the SEC East because they beat Mizzou at Missouri. Um, when Missouri was the number 18 team in the country. Uh-huh. And then we beat Purdue in the bucket game and to finish 4-8. and eight, And that was the photo of Xander Diamant holding the bucket, smoking a cigar in the locker room after finishing a season 4-8. and eight. So that's probably why I forgot. <laughs> Is, that game. So I'm looking, I'm looking at it right now, and Indiana had – Nate Sudfeld and Tevin Coleman. I think Sudfeld got hurt. There was like actually a little bit of excitement about Indiana that mm-hmm. year, correct? Yeah. So the, ne- the next year was uh, they were back again, and that was when we almost beat Ohio State in 2015 on the final play. Sudfeld was hurt at halftime, and Xander rolled around and th- chucked it in the end zone. For sure, pass interference on Simi Cobbs. They don't call it. Ohio State wins. Yeah. <laughs> There was a game this season where Tevin Coleman ran for 307 yards. Dude, he was unreal. His last six games of the season, he was running on a broken foot. Jesus. Uh, He was unreal. And then we got Jordan Howard. UAB killed their program after Tevin went to the NFL. Yeah, that's right. Jordan Howard just transferred for a year. So we had Tevin Coleman and Jordan Howard back-to-back, and we went like 5-7 and 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 6-6. That year, Tevin Coleman ran the ball 270 times for 2,036 yards, 7.5 yards per carry, and 15 touchdowns. And, you know, what a player. It's unfortunate that he is now on the New York Jets. Uh, I, I, I see no better way to end this podcast than by mentioning the New York Jets. Connor, thank you for joining. Any final things you want to say before we end this edition of the pod? No, Bill, you know, thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me come on and just absolutely haunt your program with uh, two internet breakups um a ton of espn autoplays uh phone calls that are happening from spam callers in the middle um general indiana football discussion um i will say i'm terrified to go to the bjc in february on a cold night i think uh ucla (laughs) and usc better be careful they don't know what they're stepping into uh but all honestly no we're really appreciative uh you having me on and we're really excited for penn state i'm literally I moved to a conference room in the middle of this because my internet was so bad in my office. I'm staring at the whole collection behind uh, this computer, and we're just really excited to launch it. Uh, so, yeah, Penn State big news Saturday, August 13th, noon. Uh, I'm sure there will be a lot of deranged tweets, so we're excited about it. Yes, uh, make sure you send every single potential deranged tweet you can send to at Homefield Apparel. There is no E in apparel, <laughs> but Connor will see all of them and he will enjoy all of them. Thank you, Connor, for joining. And thank you, all of you, for listening. Make sure you subscribe wherever you go and get your podcast. If you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a five-star review. And again, if you would like, if you are a new customer and would like 15% off of your first order through Homefield Apparel, use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR. One word, all uppercase. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.